you know what time it is people that's right baby it is time for a new installment of echo chamber and we have i films for you in part one because it's a two-parter people so you know that means it's gonna be extra great and it really is it really is but let's start off with the uk box office top 10 for the weekend of the 10th to the 12th of november so at number 10 we've got the exorcist believer from david gordon green who co-writes with peter settler and scott teams starring elaine bernstein jennifer nettles and dowd leslie odom jr raphael shrag olivia o'neill at number nine we got the great escaper from oliver parker written by william ivory michael kane galenda jackson wolf kyler carlise Peer, John Stranding, Laura Marcus. At number eight, it's Taylor Swift's The Eros Tour from Sam Wrench. All right, so that means at number seven is Paw Patrol, right? It's that new Paw Patrol joint, The Mighty Movie. You know, from Carl Bunker, who co-wrote with Bob Barlin and Shane Morris, Kirsten Bell, Kristen Bell, Taji P. Henson, James Marsden, Marissa Martin, Lil Ray Howry, Ron Pardu, McKenna Grace, Christian Convoy, all lend their voices to this. So at number six. It's Dream Scenario. This is from Christoph Bergil, right? He directed and wrote, starring Lily Bird, Nicolas Cage, Julianne Nicholson, Jessica Clement, Star Slade, David Klein. So we are in the top for five people. And at number five is Anatomy of a Fall from Justin Triot, who co-writes with Arthur Hari, starring Sandra Hula, Sawana Alud, Milo Machado Grana, Anton uh, Rentz. At number four, we have got Five Nights at Freddy's. Emma Tammy directs and co-writes with Seth Cuddleback and Scott Cawthorn. We've got Matthew Lillard, Josh Hutchison, Elizabeth Lyle, Mary Stuart Matteson, Kevin Foster, Kat Connor Sterling all doing their thing. At number three, it's Killers of the Flower Moon, right? 
film we took a look at during the recent London Film Festival. Martin Scorsese directs and co-writes with Eric Roth from the book by David Gran. Right, we've got Lily Gladstone, Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, Jesse Plummons, Tanto Cardinal, um, Cara Jade Myers, Janae Collins, Brandon Foster, right, Brandon Fraser, John Lithgow, right, all doing their thing. At number two, it's Trolls Band Together. Right, Tim Heights, Walt Doan, uh, they direct Jonathan Abel, Glenn Berger, and Elizabeth Trippett. Right, so it's David Diggs, Anna Kendrick, Zoe Dasher now, Justin Timberlake, Kanul Naya, Christopher Mintz, please, Andrew Rannells, Eric Andre, all lending their voices. So in at number one and new in cinemas today, it's the Marvels, right? Nia da Costa directs and co-writes with Megan McDonnell and Eliza Karzik. It's a sequel to Captain Marvel. So we got Brie Larson back, Samuel Jackson, Zoe Ashton, Iman Velani, uh, Tiana Paris, Park Sujon, Zenibi Scoff, right? Jessica Zhu, all doing their things. I do want to check that one out, people. I do. So that's the top 10. Let's get into our five films. Okay, people, so we're going to start things off with that creepy-ass horror film, Talk To Me. Okay, people, so I finally got around to watching Talk To Me. This is the new film from Michael and Danny Philippou. Danny also co-wrote with Bill Hinsman. Um, from a story by Daly Pearson. The film is produced by uh, Christina Seiton, uh, Samantha Jennings. It is executive produced by Crompton Ross, Dale Roberts, Michael and Danny Philippou. Miranda Otto, Daniel Neg Negret, right? Stephen Kelleher, Phil Hunt, Jeff Harrison, Ari Harrison, Sophie Green, Noah, and John Dummett. It's line produced by Kyle Maple and co-produced by Christopher Sito. Cornell Willicks handles the music. Aaron Maliski, cinematography. It's edited by Jeff Lamb. Nikki Barrett, 
and Kelly Graham handled the casting. Production design is Bethany Ryan. Art direction is Gareth Wilkes. Set decoration is Jennifer Drake. Costume design is Anna Cahill. Now, our cast. Well, we have um, do, do, Mia is played by Sophie Wilde. Her dad, Max, is played by Marcus Johnson. We've got her friend. Um, God, who's a friend again? Jade. Her friend Jade is played by Alexandra Jensen. Jade's brother Riley is played by Joe Bird. And their mum Sue is played by Miranda Otto. Um, yeah, I think I believe that's right. There's Cole. Oh, no. Ugh. Mm, have I got that right? Jesus Christ. I might have been mi mixing my peoples up here. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, no, no, no. I am correct. Whew. Right, we've got Haley played by Zoe Terax. Uh, Joss, her friend Joss, played by Chris Olozio. Um, there's Rhea, played by Alexandria Stephenson. Uh, Cole, played by Ari McCarthy, and his brother Duckett, played by Sonny Johnson. Uh, Daniel is played by Otis Danji. Okay, so the gist of the story. When a group of friends discover how to gunja spirits using an embalmed hand, they become hooked on the new thrill until one of them goes too far and opens the door to the spirit world, forcing them to choose who to trust, the dead or the living. This film, like there's, there was so much talk about this film. Right, so much talk about this film, and man, it looked creepy. So I was like, I don't know, I don't know. So I had to wait for daytime, and I finally checked it out. And goddamn, this is fucking boy. But I'm just, I'm baffled by this. I'm like, not because it's bad, but why anyone would do this kind of shit. Right. And I know it's fictional, but you're just like, I just these characters. I'm just like, why? What's wrong with you? Like we open up, there's a party and the guy is walking through looking for someone. Right. And he's like, oh, he's seen Dougie, he's seen Dougie. And someone's like, oh, he's in the room and the door's locked and hearing muttering. No one's like, so he breaks down the door. Right? His brother's there muttering to himself. So he helps him out. Everyone's filming, right? And then his brother stabs him, right? And stabs himself. And you're like, what? That's the first few seconds of the motherfucking film, right? So you're just like, what? what's happening? And also we see no hand, right? And you know a hand's a part of it. And it's just like, what? How is this connected? What's going on? 
And then, like, there's things here because we have, like, Mia, her mum's died, right? It's the two year anniversary. But she turns up at a friend's house. Well, I mean, she picks up her little brother, but kind of walks in the room. She's talking to her boyfriend. And there is an air of throughout, like friends who aren't necessarily really friends, you know, people manipulating each other, people trying to fit into social groups. All of this stuff is going on, right? Which, you know, like Mia and the friends are 17, right? Um, gosh, Jade's boyfriend, right? Um, Daniel is 18. So he's a year older. So, but everyone's around this age group. I can't remember how old Riley is, but he's uh, probably at least 15, maybe 16. I, I think he might be 15. Yes, he's 15. 15. And he may have just turned 15. Right? So you have all these people in there of an, you know, this age where people are mad immature. Right, not doing smart things, but you would just hope someone had a modicum of motherfucking sense, right? But here's the thing: you believe all of these people are this fucking ridiculous, right? Egging each other on to do shit that you can see is not the wisest. You know what I mean? Using those tactics to uh you know, get someone to bend to your wishes, right? It's all messed up. It's all fucking crazy. But you buy it. You buy it. So, you know, Mia uses a mother's anniversary to guilt Jade into letting her come to one of these possession parties, one of these hand parties. But you then kind of figure people don't necessarily like Mia. So we don't really know all of the minutiae here, all of the dynamics and things that are causing people to act in a certain way. But yeah, you get a sense they don't like. So obviously Mia's trying to act out to fit in. So you have all of this happening. And that's before we get to the fucking handshake. And, you know, the, obviously the rules are laid out of what you're meant to do. But, obviously, people do not follow the rules. You know? People do not follow the rules. Which is always the problem. You know? But it's like everyone is, is trying to catch fire. You know what I mean? Like, we, we can see that they're getting way too close to the flame. But they're just, I don't know if you'd say they're oblivious, but I feel there's that kind of concept that you can't, you won't be uh, touched. You know what I mean? 
And that's the thing. So this whole story spirals out of control. And we'll, as we're watching it, you're, it, sometimes it's hard to kind of understand, not understand, like just know, is this happening or is this a vision, right? Is, is this real? Like what just happened here? Is, did they go there? Like was because everything is so crazy. Like the the use and I feel the the way they show this kind of tripped out craziness is done really well. It's done really well, right? The the act of possession is done really frigging well. You know, you 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 look at it and you just like fuck. Right, because you know it's just because there's a lot of body acting, right? Having to throw yourself around, having to um, really kind of you know roll the eyes and act so it just seems that you're out of it. And all of these, all of these people, right? All, all of these like young actors and actresses that getting hit by this hand do a fantastic job right otis danji joe bird alexandria jensen yeah i mean chris alozio zoe tarax and sophie wilde they are so freaking convincing Something like no one's really likable. They're all shits. You know what I mean? I mean, you could say Riley is probably the most likable, but he's still a bit. Mm, you know what I mean? But it's all believable. You you buy it. So then, when this crazy shit happens, I mean, you you're jumping all over the fucking place. It, you just feel so on edge watching this. It's just fucking nerve-wracking. It's so fucking nerve-wracking. And then when you get to the end... What? <laughs> you know what I mean? You can definitely see where they, where they can go with a sequel. Because a sequel has been... This did so well. Do you know what I mean? They, they re-up. So we're getting a sequel, and you can see plenty of possibilities because there's questions unanswered. There are so many questions unanswered. This is insane. But people, do not fuck with hands and blow out candles. You know what I mean? Look, it's out everywhere on all VODs. So if you like crazy ass shit, you know what I mean? If you enjoyed uh, Come True, right, that film, if you, we covered it, I think it was two years ago, so Come True or The Conjuring Hour, which um, is a Shudder original, if you like those films with the weird twists and unexpected shit that was going on, you will dig talk to me. So yeah, people, be fucking warned. This is some freaky ass shit, okay? Okay.
next up it's the hulu original disney plus internationally it is quiz lady Ooh. yo people okay so quiz show no quiz lady jeez quiz lady is the new film from jessica Yu, written by jen d'angelo the film is produced by um do, 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 sandro U. Right, uh, Maggie Haskins, Will Farrell, Jessica Elbom, Jen D'Angelo, Aquafina, and Ita Reyes. It is executive produced by Erica Hampson and Alex Brown, and it's associate produced by Virginia McCullum. Nick Urta handles the music. Adrian Peng Carrera, cinematography. Wow. Nat Sanders and Susan Vialli edit the piece. Nicole Abelera and Jeanne McCarthy. Um, Handled the casting. Uh, Jeff Mann is production design. Art direction is Mundo Enrique and David King. Set decoration is Kimberly Murphy and Brenda Abanadolo. Handled costume design. Right, we got hair and makeup from Tanya Stein. Maynard Matthews, Craig Lindeberg, Courtney Jarrell, Adam Gita, Cami Crockett, Laverne Krasuzzi, and Ella Barkowitschka. Now, our cast, right? We have got uh, Anne Young. Played by Aquafina. Her sister, older sister Jenny, is played by Sandra Wu. Um, there, uh, Anne's neighbor Francine is played by Holland Taylor. Oh, actually, we, we, yeah, I feel we have to um, mention as well if I can uh, find it, because I saw it um, earlier. But yes, Mr. Laguini is played by Crosby Cookie. And Mr. Laguini is Anne's beloved old ass huge dog. Right? Uh, we've got Terry McCateer. Played by Will Farrell. He is the host of the game show that Anne religiously watches every single day. Right? And the um the consistent with the longest winning record on the show is Ron Heacock, played by Jason Swartzman. We've also got 
Mercedes, played by Tuani Newsom. Um, there's Francine's Crush, which is played by Paul Rubens. We got Ken, played by John Park. There's Trav, played by Camus Johnson. Marge, played by Angela Trimba. Um, ben Franklin, played by Tony Hale. It will make sense when you watch it, right? There's Daryl from the bar, played by Justin Davis. Um, now we've got a younger version of Anne, uh, played by Judy Hu, and a and Shirley Chen plays a younger version of Jenny. Uh, they're Dad is played by, and Jenny's dad, is played by Eddie J. Lee. Crystal is played by Christine Lin. Um, Glenn, played by Alan Hitch. Wendy, played by Betsy Holt. Bart, played by Matt Cordova. Uh, so Young, played by Jane Kim. Cousin Jim is played by Luke Kim. Uh, Shannon, played by Sarah Grace Wellborn. A, um, another iteration of Anne when she's 12. It's played by Hayley Peng. Um, yeah, that's probably, you know, there's a, it's a talk show, right? Yeah, well, quiz show, and there's a bar scene. So there's a load of people that will show up. But that is, I'd say that's our main uh, group of people. Probably. I would guess so. So the gist of the story is this. Tightly wound, game show obsessed Anne must team up with her chaotic sister Jenny to help pay off their mother's gambling debts. When Anne's beloved dog is kidnapped, they set off on a cross-country journey to get the money they need. To do so, they must tap into Anne's skill set by turning her into the game show champion she was always meant to be. So, yeah, there we go with um, Quiz Lady, right? I just stumbled upon this, right? I think, what the hell did I stumble? I forget. Maybe I was on Disney Plus and I saw it, or someone talked about it and I thought I'd go check it. There's, you know, Aquafina and Sanja U are uh, always fun. You know, I've got to say, this is probably one of the craziest transformations of Sandra Ooh I've seen, right? She's got tattoos and everything, which I don't know if I remember seeing in anything else, you know? Definitely different to her character in the chair. <laughs> but, you know, to be honest with you, this is, I mean... It's pretty much akin to a lot of the similar films that we've seen. There's been a good few films that are set around a game show. Right, Starter for Ten is obviously the one that probably closest, 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 resembles this the most. Oh, I don't even know why that was a struggle. 
I have no clue, people. Right? We've got other ones, you know, like there's the Running Man and uh, Hunger Games, but oh, Contender 7, right? Which are all uh, a bit more bloody. <laughs> I mean, a bit, a lot, a lot more bloody than what this is, you know? Uh, so yeah, I'd say start of a 10, seven, start of a 10 even, is the one that's probably the, uh, closest in nature to Quiz Lady, and it, you know, it's pretty much how you would expect, right? It, it probably, it hits all those notes, right? All of those things. So two sisters that are so drastically different, right? Got a situation with their mom. You know, the people in the care home are weird and crazy. You know, it just hits all of those things. So I think if you like something like Vacation Friends and its sequel, that this will mesh up well to that, right? If you enjoyed that, this could play into those same kind of emotions and laughs for you. I didn't necessarily find it hilarious, right? There was no laugh out loud moments here. Where, you know, this is the most interest to me is right, we just got this Asian cast, right, so as I said, we've seen these stories before, but most of the time, it's a Caucasian cast, so it was, you know, it was just kind of nice to see that difference, you know what I mean, that we just got this, you know, run-of-the-mill generic story, but told with different, you know, characters, you know, a, a different look and just all of that kind of jazz. So that that was probably one of the standout things for me with this. You know, because, it, yeah, the story was just a bit, like, I thought we could have gone into more, right? Because Anne, she lives a very safe existence. And I think we could have explored that, right? Why? You know what I mean? Were there any attempts to do more and, you know, an experience forced back? You know, just certain things like that would have been good. You know, and like what gives Jenny the bravado and what kind of mask is that? You know what I mean? So just if we had explored those things a little bit, that could have been different, right? That could have been nice. It's like um, when you think about Little Miss Sunshine, right? It, it, we end with the dance competition, which is then insane. But that wasn't like, part of the story is them getting there, but then you had all of this other stuff that fleshed out the characters on the way, you know? And I feel Quiz Lady, if it had taken that kind of approach, we would have had a stronger film. You know, but I will say this, the very last charade, right? The the, the last, uh, I don't know what you would call, would you call it a charade? 
like I'm in the game sense. That's what I'm doing. I'm not like the last shisty thing that happened in the film. No, the last, you know, the that that was some touching shit. I that was like that was the one thing in the film that really hit me. It was like, ah, oh, that's that's real nice. That's real nice. You know what I mean? So that was the big emotional impact for me in the film. But as I said, if you enjoy stuff like Vacation Friends and those type of films, then you you will probably laugh at all the, the stuff in here which is meant to be funny, which for me just came off a little bit forced. But I am very fucking cynical, people. You know that shit, right? I'm not a laugh ho. So, yeah. It takes a lot. It takes a lot for me to chuckle sometimes. Sometimes it depends on what kind of mood I'm in. You know what I mean? But yeah, I look, it wasn't made for me, which is fine. But if you are a fan of those silly comedies, and when I say silly, it's not I'm saying they're silly comedies, but with that kind of silly, loosey-goosey humor, right? Then, people, then Quiz Lady will work, okay? But, yeah, I just thought that last bit was a nice emotional hit. But the big thing was we have some diversity in the storytelling. So it was, it was just interesting to see these characters in this type of film, where in the past, it's predominantly white. So I thought that was nice. But yes, Quiz Lady is on Disney Plus internationally, and in the States, you will find it on Hulu. So if it sounds like it's for you, you can, uh, yeah, go for a vow. <laughs> Now we have a Netflix original. It is Best Christmas Ever. All right, people. So after last week, I figured let's give another Christmas film a look. You know what I mean? And so, uh, yeah, Netflix have just dropped Best Christmas Ever. This is directed by Mary Lambert, and it is written by Charles Shire and Todd Calgi Gallicano. The film is produced by Brad Crevo. It is executive produced by Steve Berman, Brian Borden, Charles Shiler. Jimmy Townsend, and David M. Wolf, with line production from John Foss. Jeff Rona handles the music, Graham Robbins, cinematography, while we have got Jeffrey Wolf on editing duties. Nancy Nayer handled the casting, Diane Millett, production design, 
Brian Lives set decoration, and Emerson Alvarez took care of costume design. Hair and makeup, we've got Stephanie Stanford Anderson, Heather Everett Brooke, Megan Danner, Shay Charlize Lopez, Ariel Parker, and Molly Moonan Sanders. So the cast. Uh, Brandy Norwood is Jackie Jennings. Her husband, Valentino, is played by Matt Sedino. Uh, she's got a daughter, Beatrix, played by Madison Sky Validum. Right. And her friends, well, there's Rob, her ex, uh, Rob Sanders. He's played by Jason Biggs. His wife, Charlotte is played by Heather Graham, and, you know, she's also friends with Jackie, but in a weird way, right, they've got two kids, there is Grant, played by Wyatt Hunt, and his younger sister, Dora, played by Abby Villisamil, we've also got Rose McCarthy, who used to work with Jackie, she is played by Nadia Sign. There's Kaiko, played by Janet Lowe. Um, we've got the uh, the Santa guy, played by Paul Kerman. Michelle, played by Camille Cadorette. Jim, played by Chase Ramsey. Um, we've also got the bank manager played by Alan Groves, All right, uh, yeah, I, that, that's probably our main group of people that we see, so the gist is this, every Christmas, without fail, Jackie sends a boastful holiday newsletter that makes her old college friend Charlotte feel like a lump of coal, when a twist of fate lands Charlotte, her husband, Rob, and their family on Jackie and husband Valentino's snowy doorstep, just days before Christmas, Charlotte seizes the opportunity to prove that her old friend's perfect life can't possibly be that perfect. But in her overzealous attempt to expose Jackie, Charlotte nearly ruins Christmas for both families and must team up with her old friend to reassemble the pieces. Hmm. So, yeah, there we go with that one. So this is, uh, it's an odd one for, um, you know, uh, our director. Mary Lambert, is most of her films have been horror-related. You know, I've done a lot of music videos. So last, well, in 2021, she did do another Christmas film, A Castle for Christmas. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, maybe this is her new uh, turn in filmmaking. She's doing cheesy Christmas films possibly, right? Now, obviously, right, we've got the Hallmark Channel that this type of stuff is their bread and butter, you know what I mean? And for the most part, 
I think you find most Christmas films to be along this ilk, which people love that. People like that saccharine sweetness, right? That unrealistic, like, mindset of the characters. But it always feels a bit weird to me, right? Like, we start off, the whole newsletter thing, and the way it's described in the synopsis, right, that... Jackie always sends these boastful newsletters. I mean, it's not, it's just a newsletter saying all your highlights, but all your good, I mean, 99% of people who would write something like this, who contact their wider friend group or family, I mean, they're not going to talk about the bad things. They're not going to talk about the fails unless a fail leads to this great thing. You know, that's the only way they're talking about that shit, right? A case in point, social media. <laughs> not many people put down, today was the worst day of my life. Well, some people do that, but it's to get everyone going, oh my God, you're so brave. Oh, you know what I mean? And shit like that. But people don't. So to say it's boastful, I know if you would say that, you know, and it's what you take from these things. Like, don't you want to see your friends wins? You know what I mean? So I think that's a bit weird, but that's like this setup. And where you've got people that are supposedly friends, but it's clear they're not friends. And for someone to have that, the, the level of kind of hate that, um, you know, Charlotte has for Jackie, you, you kind of look at it and go, I don't think they were ever friends. You know, it's so, it's so bizarre. It really is. You know, and the notion of going to someone's house by mistake is insane, right? It, that, that made no sense because they're going to, supposedly going to Charlotte's sister's house. Now, they know, they know where she lives, right? They know how close it is relatively. So, you know, okay, this journey should take this amount of time right? And it's roughly in this direction. So it's not like you could then drive for hours longer and not go, yo, let's pull over. I think we've taken a wrong turn some, you know, just that whole thing was bizarre. It, it, it was a bizarre, you know, um, leading because, yeah, there's so many flaws to it, right, so many flaws to it, and then just when they're at the house, it, it's this weird thing, because I'm all about making stuff that can make people happy, right, and, uh, you know, it, it's escapism, that's all fine, 
but you you create characters that are very weird, like the daughter. You've got Beatrix, who is you know, like at 10, she went to Harvard. Firstly, anyone that would send a 10-year-old to Harvard is an animal, right? That kid is not in like you can get, you know, savants that are clever, but putting a kid in an adult setting, they're not made for that. That's gonna emotionally stunt them in so many ways. But you've got this kid who's just acting a bit like a shit. And I mean, it's just busy, it's just like, oh, you're wrong. I know this, I know that. I'm a I'm just like, yo, wouldn't like it's fine. Having an inquisitive child, it's all gravy, man. You know what I mean? Asking questions, I'm down with that. But being rude, you know what I mean? And doing certain there's certain things that you you would have had that conversation, be like, yo, you know what? In this situation, probably it's best to approach it in this way. Because some people might take that out of context. I know what you mean because I love you. I know you. Not everyone will. So let's maybe try this. You're like, okay. You know what I mean? So it's very bizarre, you know, that there's no gray area. Everyone's either one or the other, you know? You've got Charlotte jealous of everything. And we, we, it just makes it weird. Just makes it weird. There's things that go down and you think, just a conversation, right? Just a conversation. Now, you know where it's going. You know where this story is going. It's obvious. It's, you know, just the staple of these films. But, yeah. If you like Christmas films, you, as I said, it will probably work for you. I will say this. Brandy's acting has improved. Now, it's not to say this is an Oscar-winning performance or anything like that. But, yo, this is leaps and bounds from her days in Moesha. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah, that's, you know, she does a good job there. And I think uh, Jason Biggs, you know, he does a decent enough job as Rob, right? It, like, Heather Graham, it's not that she's terrible or anything. It's just the role is just horrible. Like, the writing isn't the, well... It depends how you look at it. For a typical Christmas film, this is fine. But if you were just trying to make a, a drama, a family film, where, you know, where it's dealing with all of these different things, it's not, it's not good on that level, you know? So, yeah, how you want to look at this is how you're going to judge all those elements, you know, the camera work, cinematography, you know, the effects, like, it's clear, <laughs> it, it's clear they're not in a balloon, right, just walking down a ladder like that, that ladder's not staying still, right, you, you're gonna fall, that's a great, like, what are we doing, 
You know, there's a load of things that are just like, oh, this is insane. But as a Christmas film, the elements will work, right? So if you enjoyed Yuletide the Knot, which we spoke about last last week, I believe. Yeah, I believe that was last week, right? If you enjoyed that, if you enjoyed Mistletoe Ranch, right, Holiday, just any of them Christmas joints, if you like them, then Best Christmas Ever, it's a similar ilk of film, so you will enjoy this, but yes, you have to understand what you're looking for when you're coming in, if Christmas films are you, boom, kick in that door, baby, but if you are more about a drama, you know, something with a bit of substance, it's possibly not the one. But, hey, it's on Netflix. So, you know, maybe go take a look. Now we have got Mafia Mama, which is dropping on Prime. Okay, people, so Mafia Mama is the new signature film directed by Catherine Hardwick and written by J. Michael Feldman and Debbie Hyun from a story idea from Amanda Cyphers. The film is produced by Tony Collette. And Amanda Cyphers, executive produced by Alvaro R. Valente, Jen Turner, Peter Touche, Alison Thompson. Uh, oh, Christopher Simon also produced, executive producer, sorry, Andrea Scarzo, Kent Sanderson, Norman Merry, uh, Evangelo. Kisses, Andrew Carpen, Catherine Hardwick, Mark Goodyear, Mark Goldberg, Christina Gabetti, Christelle Conan, Andrew Boswell, Jerome Booth, and Simon Baxter. Alex Hefts handles the music. Patrick McGuey, Cinematography, Waldemar Centeno, Edits the Piece, Armando Pizzitti, Casting Duties, uh, Production Design is Livia Bergoni, Set Decoration as well, Costume Design is Claudette Lilly, uh, and our cast. Well, um, Kirsten is played by Tony Collette. Her husband, Paul, is played by Tim Dash. And her son, Dominic, is played by Tommy Roger. We then have got Don Giuseppe Balbano, who is her uncle, played by... 
Alessandro Grisanelli, uh, Bianca, his assistant, is played by Monica Bellucci. Um, her brother-in-law, cousin, Fabrizio, is played by Eduardo Scarpetta. Um, we got da, 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 her bodyguards, Aldo, played by Francesco Masterani, and Dante, played by Alfonso Pergini. Uh, then we have um, Aldo's mother, played by Dusca Bisconti. There is um, do, 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 do. who else? Lorenzo, played by Guillo Corso, and his aunt Esmeralda, played by Dora Romano. Uh, you've got Jenny, Kirsten's best friend, played by Sophia Nomvet. Uh, their Krag Magar trainer, played by Madalena Valecci Williams. Uh, Tracy, played by Claire Palazzo. Wayne, played by Mitch Salm. Uh, Randy, played by Yonv Joseph. Hank is played by Jay Natel. Ding, ding, ding. Um, the judge, right, is played by Olivia Del Palos. Bruno, played by Alessandro Cremona. Um, and Gianni, played by Lana Goreano. No, no. Right, so the um, the gist of the story is this: Kristen Balbano Jordan um, is in need of a change, with her son heading off to college, her marriage in shambles, and her professional life as a pharmaceutical marketing executive at crossroads. Kirsten is hungry for a life in which her empathy and problem-solving talents are an asset, not a liability. When she gets an unexpected call from a woman she's never met, Bianca, um, doo -doo -doo, who tells Kirsten her grandfather in Italy has died, leaving California for Rome to attend a funeral and hopefully spark an eat, pray, love star romantic adventure, Kirsten discovers the family business is organized crime and rivals are now gunning for the Balbanos. Kirsten has to take over her grandfather's wishes. Initially reluctant, the former people pleaser housewife realizes that when not dodging assassination attempts, being a mafia's mafia don has its upsides. A group that respects what she has to offer, a fantastic wardrobe, Bianca's guardian angel ship, and a break from endless Zoom calls. It's a big leap for a woman who has too, who was too busy raising a family to ever find time to watch The Godfather. But as she becomes a mafia mama, Kirsten sees how the Balbano family 
like herself, can go from old ways to new beginnings. So, yeah, that is the film, people. Um, now, there's a few things that were said, right? So, um, Amanda Sears, who devised the story, said this. Tony, Catherine, Monica and I are all women who are not 20 anymore and have had experienced a lot in our lives and our careers. Even while being successful, we can identify with women who become strong because they had no choice. In the eyes of their husbands, women like Kirsten are perhaps not young anymore. They have to let their children go their own way. They have to let go of a lot of things. That's one reason why Mafia Mama is universal. Any woman, no matter her level of success, has these feelings. Hmm. Hmm. Right. Um, we also have um, Sivers say that this idea is a lot of who I am. I have roots in Italy and France, but I live in Los Angeles. So I'm sort of a fish out of water as European living and working in the United States. I'm also a mother whose kids are going off to college and a single woman who's always thinking it'd be so romantic to go to Italy. And I love stupid romance movies about that kind of thing. They're not realistic, but I still love them. I also think if anything were to actually happen to me in Italy, I'm sure it would be messy. So I think in an outrageous way, this story would be mine. Something funny that's close to the spirit of my own life. So, yeah, that gives you a, probably a little bit of insight into um, what this was, right? What they were hoping to do with it. And I guess, right, if you like those ridiculous stories that don't make any real sense, then this could work. Maybe. Maybe. Right? We've seen a lot of kind of mafia comedy films, you know, analyze this, analyze that, be get shorty, be cool. Right, just all of those ones. I mean, people seem to love Mickey Blue Eyes. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> my cousin Vinny. Like, there's a lot of different films, right? Some are funnier than others, you know? Right, so, like the whole nine yards. Like, some, some work, some don't. I mean, a lot of them I hate, right? But, you know, if you like that kind of thing, then, yeah, th th this could be that for you. I, I get wanting to, I don't know, tell a kind of story where you've got this woman, you know, who's leading this life and she steps into another world. I, I just think we have all the cliches, right? Every single cliche is here. Everyone. And it feels like the story 
is on the fence a bit, right? Whether it's it's trying to be a comedy and it's also trying to be this really thoughtful, you know, kind of piece that's addressing these issues that might affect, you know, women of a certain age and all of this. So I think it gets lost, right? It gets tangled up in its own feet, right? Not sure how to go, right? How far to go in either direction. And that's where I think it gets lost for me. Because I don't think it's funny enough to be a comedy, right? And it's trying way too hard with jokes, like just way too hard. And then you've got the the things where it's trying to show someone that's all about, you know, helping other people. But the problem is it takes it way too far. Like when she catches her husband having an affair, she's like, so the woman he's banging, he's like, oh, are you okay? And but but and you're just like, look, even someone who's try who tries to take care of other people, right? Make other people happy, you're not doing that. Right? So it just it makes a character real pathetic. And you're just like, you know, like that's the thing. It it goes too far in a direction, which then just becomes real weird and stupid. Like it's just her meeting with Lorenzo in the airport. Again, kind of dumb. Right? That whole situation is kind of because she doesn't know, like, doesn't know him that long. But you have all of the, and then she's meeting him, but then wanting to, you know, sleep with this other person. It's just all, there's no trying to get to know someone, no trying to understand a situation, right? And just the whole, oh, I didn't have two and a half hours to spare to watch The Godfather. You don't have to watch The Godfather to get any of the mafia references. You know, like, look, the Mafia references are, are and definitely, you know, in the 80s, 90s were thrown around so much, so much that you didn't have to watch all of these films to get it. Right? I watched The, the Godfather late, but I got, you know, all those kind of oh, a horse's head in the bed and just all of it, like, and you weren't quite sure. Wait, do they mean a whole horse? Like, I mean, was it bloody? Like, you didn't need to know what it was, right? And then you watch it and you'd be like, geez, it was a fucking horse's head, right? But you didn't have to have watched it to get it, right? Be like, oh, we're slipping with the fishies, right? You got what that was. But it, it this is like, oh, I have no clue what that means. Oh, what does that? And you're just like, come on, man. What are we, what are we doing here? Right? I hate, I hate the way marketing is always depicted in movies and TV. Because it's just stupid. 
It's so stupid. They have the worst ideas, which everyone's like, going, oh, my God, that's incredible. Oh, how is it? And you're just like, that's so dumb. Like, what the, what is this shit? You know, it, 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 it's, it's weird. Right? And just the whole eat, pray, fuck thing was just, you know, oy, I don't know. People, people, it, it, this, I mean, it's not my, this wasn't made for me, right? This film was not made for me, right? The acting's all over the top, like, just over the top. So you, you just were like, uh, no, like, it wasn't anyone's strongest film, I would say. They may have been having a load of fun, which is great. That's great. You know, have fun at work, you know, that's important. And I'm sure there are people that are going to enjoy this. As I said, look, if you love stuff like Mickey Blue Eyes, the whole nine yards and, you know, analyze this, analyze that, all of that jazz, this could work. You could enjoy this. I'd probably, you know, it's, a, it's similar ilk, right? It's similar. So there is that, you know, but yeah, for me, it, I just, I don't know, people, it just didn't, it didn't work, right? We have this whole court case situation, which, I mean, the, the, the silly thing about the court case, right, is it wasn't there was no semblance to a court, right? Any of the court cases you have seen on TV, even in the lowest budget films, made more sense than what we have here, right? Just the way it was orchestrated was just baffling. Baffling, people, you know? I don't know. And... Turning shit wine into great wine in under three months? That might have been one of the most ludicrous things in this film. That really, I mean, it takes, it takes time, right? And if the grapes are shit, you're not turning those around. You know, it's about planting new grapes, refertilizing the soil, making sure all the nutrient levels are right. There's so much that goes into it, you know? And then where the wine is shit, and everyone knows the wine is shit, you have to change people's opinions. That's a whole behavioral, behavioral change campaign. That takes a while. That takes a while to turn people on that shit. So, yeah, the wine thing was just fucking baffling. Baffling, people. But if you like The Outlaws, right, that Netflix joint from earlier in the year, then, yeah, Mafia Mama on Prime could be for you. Okay? So it's dropping early next week. People, people, yeah, 
if you want something you don't have to think about, right, if you enjoy just ridiculous rom-com comedy things, then, yeah, this film could be up your alley, right? But do not expect nuance. Do not expect nuance. I will, also, if you liked Hardwick's um, Prisoner's Daughter, right? We looked at that earlier in the year. If you enjoyed that, yeah, that, a lot of this makes as much sense as that film, right? So I think, yeah, if you liked any of those films I've referenced, Mafia Mama will probably work for you. So enjoy. And we have got our latest book adaptation, Desperation Road. Okay, so Signature just hit me with Desperation Road. This is the new film from Nadine Croker. She directs, and Michael Farris Smith uh, has written the screenplay. It is produced by Nadine Croker, uh, Cassian Ellos, Walter Justin, and Michael Farris Smith. It is executive produced by Jamie Zalius, Ryan Winterstone, Jordan Wagner. Courtney Simmel, Jay Seals, Paul Roberts, Veronica Radelli, Max Oswald, David J. Myrick, Joel David Moore, Nathan Klinger, Patrick Joston, James Isolay, Stephen Hayes, Joshua Harris, Peter Graham, Greg Friedman, Mark Fasano, James D. Giacomo, Tom Colliver, Ford Corbett, Katie Bondenhammer, Melissa Bale. So, um, Haim Mazar handles the music. Cy Turnbull, cinematography, while we've got Jing Han on editing duties. Carrie Adino and Kathy Cam Campbell took care of casting. Molly Wartell, production design. Set decoration is Megan Glasper, while costume design is Nina Chernak-Rosenberg. Andrea Al, Justin Lee Aldridge, Leslie Humphrey, and Tony Vincent handled hair and makeup. So our cast. Well, people, we have got Mabon, played by Willa Fitzgerald. Her um, daughter, Annalie, is played by Piper Braun. 
We then have got Russell, played by Garrett Headland. His dad, Mitchell, played by Mel Gibson. Um, Mitchell's hmm, companion, friend. We don't really know exactly what she does, but Consuela is played by Paulina Galvez. Right, we've got um, Russell's best friend, Boyd, played by Woody McClan, who's also a police officer. And his ex, Sarah McGee, played by Ella Thomas. We then have got, um, what is Jason, played by Carl Ranking. Jason's brothers, right, there is Larry, played by Ryan Hurst. And Walt, played by Michael Aaron Milligan. Uh, we also have got, uh, who else do we, ah, uh, well, there's Clint, right, played by Shiloh um, Fernandez, Dana, played by Kat Foster, um, we've got Lacey, played by Katie Bondenhammer, Cody, played by, um, yeah, Cody, who is Lacey's son, I believe. And Lacey is also Larry's ex. So Cody is played by Brady Gentry. Um, there's Brenda, played by Benita Ellery. Gina, played by Cassandra Schumer. Um, that's our main group of people, I would say. And the story is this, a Southern Noir thriller set in a tough and tumble Mississippi town where a woman and her young daughter are caught in the crossfire when whiskey guns and a desire for revenge violently intersect. Hmm. I feel there's a lot more, like a lot more to this story than that, right? So it is actually an adaptation of a book, right? A book from the screenwriter himself, Michael Farris Smith, which came out in 2017, right? Same name, Desperation Road. So we have this. Now, we start off, right? We, we, we start off with, um, oh gosh, where do we, oh yeah, we, we, I feel we start off with Maven, right? So she's in a situation, um, like she's going around with her daughter. We see her, you know, stop off at a motel type spot. And, um, you know, they've got hardly any money, right? You can see that. So she's in the car park, turning tricks. Now, you don't know, does she do this regularly? Is this how she gets the money? It feels like it's a possible thing that's done whenever they need their real low on cash. Because we see them steal it, shoplifting, stealing, you know. 
And she's by a lorry when the police come. And that's when all of her story goes sideways, right? But after all of this goes down, we then we cut right to Russell, who gets out of prison, you know, and then is jumped, right? He's jumped by these two brothers, Larry and Waltz. And there you you know, okay, so there's there's something, right? There's a history here. Either, you know, he they they're getting him for like snitching, like maybe there's some previous prison beef, right? Or someone got killed and their relatives. But something has gone down. So we have all of this different stuff going on. And there's some interesting things. There are some interesting things, and there's some well-played roles, right? The cast isn't bad, you know? Like, and there's certain, well, there's certain cast members that get a lot to do. And so they can really show you know, in their talents, right? So, you know, Mabin and Russell, they're our main focus. So, yeah, Fitzgerald and Hoodland, they get a lot, right? And, you know, we, we buy into their inner pain and demons and suffering and torment, all of that. We buy into it. You know, Ryan Hurst as Larry, Real good job. You can see he's an alcoholic. You can see that he is very troubled. He's got problems and anger and just uh, all of this stuff. We see it. He shows it very well. You know, Shiloh Fernandez, we do buy he's a slimy piece of shit cop, right? That all of those things, you can tell that Sarah, there's something there. There was some, like, her, there was a difficult situation. Ella Thomas does a good job. Though, right, it's, it's one of the few minor characters where they're able to really show something, right? Because Sarah is in it one time, right, but it is an emotional scene, which is good for Thomas, right, she gets to shine, but, you know, Mitchell, Russell's dad, played by Mel Gibson, he's not really given anything, right, you do kind of feel, what was the point in bringing Mel Gibson into this, because you gave him nothing, absolutely nothing, but even he still has more than poor Paulina Galvez, who plays Consuela, who is just basically there to nod, smile, and go, I, I'll go cook, that's, that's her, right, it's just like, oh, fuck, you know, Walt, as Larry's brother, again, does not really get much at all to do here, 
know, so it's it's funny. Larry's ex, Lacey, and her son Cody. Nothing, nothing really, and you wonder why they are here, right? So we we have a lot of characters that do appear, but have nothing really to do. You know, we, we don't understand their motivations. We don't get it. Like, Boyd is probably the, you know, biggest non-star role. And Woody McLean doesn't do a bad job, but it's just the role is, is it's very weird because he's best friends with Russell. And, you know, he, first he's like, you should have told me you were getting out. would have come and picked you up. And he's trying to help him out, right? But then you go from he's either trying to help him or accusing him of something. And there's no real combat. Like, they're friends. They've been friends for the longest. So you just think there's certain things that could have been sorted out. Like, there's something Boyd says early on which then indicates if information is relayed, this probably would have been resolved, right? He's like, oh, he's been here for two years and straight away, he's been in trouble, right? It, things probably caught up with him, right? He's, he's, he was a piece of shit. That's what boy tells us straight. That's what he tells us. So you're just like, yo, if that's the case, then, and there would have probably been, I mean, there would have been evidence for the phones and a medical. So it's just like, why, why did we not, you know, there's just things that are happening that make no sense. We're told the, the car was in the middle of the road, right? So I get, look, if you're drink driving, yeah, you're a piece of shit. You know what I mean? You didn't need to do that. What are you doing? But if a car is parked with no lights on in the middle of the road, there is a little culpability there. You know what I mean? Like, that's not explained. because They're in the middle of the fucking countryside. Like, why would you park in the road? You know? So that's a, just so random. And just these characters intersecting, it does feel like it's a, a, a stretch. It does feel like it's a stretch, you know? Now, obviously, when you do a book, you have more real estate to play with, right? To flesh things out, to really get into the minutiae of a story. So with this, we've got, what, I think it's hour and 40 minutes, hour and 50, 50, 40 to 50 minutes, round about that. And which does feel like a long time, but they don't really utilize that time that well. So there are bits where you're just thinking, where is this going? And then you're left with, how are they going to tie this up in 20 minutes? You know, and, and so, yeah, the story is just a bit all over the place. And 
as I said, look, I feel in the book there could have been, there's probably more. It probably makes more sense a lot of the things that are going down. But yeah, we are left scratching our heads a bit with this, I have to say. But as I said, look, we get some really good performances. You know, performance-wise, it's all good, right? The, the atmospheric feel, it's good. Though, right, you have people like Larry that, you know, obviously do not take care of themselves. Do not. Their clothes are dirty. You can see they're, they're unwashed. They're unkempt. But their teeth are white and shiny. <laughs> right? You know, now, hey, I look, not everyone's maybe going to pick up on that. But if we're saying a character is one thing, but they've got mad shiny white ass teeth, that, yeah, it kind of ruins the effect. We need to, like, you can't just dirty up someone's clothes. you got to take care of the teeth as well. Because that's so always weird. That's always fucking weird, right? But, yeah, you know, there's things that work. There's things that work well. But just the story is a little bit. And it gets, it kind of gets wrapped up mad neat at the very end. And you're just like. Hold on, like, hold on, you know, like, you think there's way, there's ways of tying it all, you know, and I, I, I was thinking, there's also the explanation could have been just, you know, if a certain thing is said, it changes it and makes it more palatable, but yeah, it does get kind of tied up very neatly, and you're just like, wait, hold on. Like, what are we doing here? This That seems real fucking crazy and neat. But, yeah, I don't know. I think it is possibly an issue because, look, we've got Farris Smith adapting his own book. And he's also producing. So I, I feel you need that a separation so someone go, can go, I'm not sure if that works. Right, ah, if we flip this, that could be better, and I don't think we get that when uh, you know, what I mean, you're the one who's written, adapted, and you're producing, it all gets a little bit, yeah. But I don't know, people, listen, it is out on all your favorite VODs on Monday, the 20th of November. You know, so uh, yes, if you are a keen, um, I mean, things like pig, right? If you liked pig, then this could work for you, you know, if you like that kind of middle of nowhere story people trying to sort shit out, all of that jazz, then yeah, Desperation Road could be the one for you. So Monday the 20th of November, mark it down, people. Yo, so we're now end of part one, but before we close that door, 
let's take a look and see what's happening in the world of film, right? So we have got um, some release information, right? So, uh, yeah, there's a new horror film called Out of Darkness, which will be dropping on the 9th of February, 2024. So that's hitting cinemas via Bleecker Street, right? It's starring Sophie Safa, Oakley Green, right? And it's set 45,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. A group of people crossing a snowy tundra waste to reach some distant mountains that will be their new home when night falls they realize they are not alone (laughs) now before then right on the 17th so uh, this friday blue beetle is going to be dropping on max Right, so yeah, I'm assuming then we may see it on uh, some channels over here. So, uh, you know, I might take a look at it in the coming weeks, people. We will see. We will see. Right. Um, also, right, we know that Highlander, right, the new. Um, Chad uh, Sterensky, I can never pronounce his name, you know, from John Wick, right? That film, Highlander, is at Lionsgate, and they are targeting 2026 for that film to drop, which makes sense, right? That makes sense with everything that's been going down, you know what I mean? Now, everything that's been going down, well, people... It is finally over, right? SAG-AFRA and the studios have come to an agreement. The vote has been ratified, right? I think 86% of people approved, right? And uh, yeah, the strike is officially over, right? So um, that is very good. Oh, my God. I mean, it would be curious to know um, what the people that didn't, you know, agree with it, what their issues were. You know what I mean? But, uh, yeah, The, the, the one thing with this, right, there will be changes. You know what I mean? Not, I imagine not as many films get green lit. You know what I mean? Because what, whenever there are raises, that comes from somewhere, you know? So there will be changes, but I'm very glad, you know what I mean? We're just, everything's going back into production. But, whoo, that just means everyone is scrambling, scrambling for spaces so any of those big studios which are owned by a a certain you know like studio production house that's gonna be huge right because you know i think netflix 
have got um you know certain lots that they own um someone owns pinewood i want to say maybe maybe netflix or disney I mean, they invested in that. I know um, Warner's invest or Universal invested in another spot. So I think that helps with their stuff. But yeah, there's going to be a huge rush to get things back in production. And um, just a few films, right, that look to be starting real soon. So we got Deadpool 3. You know, Gladiator 2, Beetlejuice 2, Jura number 2, Venom 3. Though those are all looking to get back to recording. I think before Thanksgiving, you know. Um, in early 24, supposedly, right? The neutron film goes into production. Brad Pitt's Formula One film. Themed film, the sequel, the Mortal Kombat 2, right? Um, Minecraft, Sunflower, Good Fortune, Superman's Legacy. There's a good few films that are looking to uh, get things popping. So it's gonna be interesting, man. It, it really is going to be interesting to see you know what happens because there's gonna be you know conflicts in schedules directors and actors will probably be dropping out of stuff you know what i mean we, we're entering interesting times now this week there was a lot of um upcry around warner brothers's decision to shelve, right, to shelve Coyote the Acne, right, their new live-action CG blended film, right, and the big, the, the big thing with this was it was finished, right, so they did the same to um, Batgirl, they did it to the Scooby-Doo animated film, but I think both of those weren't fully finished. I know Batgirl was finished, but they hadn't done all the special effects yet, right? But with, uh, yeah, this new one, Coyote v. Acne, it was done. There was nothing left to do on this joint. And we've seen conflicting reports, some saying that it tested through the roof, others saying that's a lie, but, you know, who knows? What we do know is everyone was pissed, and supposedly there was a whole heap of directors and actors who had a meetings planned with Warners that cancelled those meetings, Right, there's no one wants to work months, months on a project to find out that it's been shelved as a tax write-off, you know? So there's backlash, and so much so that DC quickly reversed the decision, which I'm not quite sure what that means, 
right? Because supposedly with the tax write-offs, you aren't meant to sell the film. You know what I mean? To get that money, I think you have to just, it, it can't go anywhere. You can't sell it. You can't put it out for free. It's done. So, yeah, maybe Warners have to give back all of that money or some of that money. But, uh, yeah, there's studios that are looking at picking up the film. So, supposedly, Amazon, Apple, and Netflix are the top runners. And um, Warners will be putting on screenings so they can look at the film and assess if they want to buy it. So, uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's a curious situation, right? I, I feel it hurts Warner Brothers a lot, a lot, you know? And, and even as much so that I believe a Texas congressman has, um, you know, put forward a case that this type of thing should be illegal, right? Which I can see. I can fully see, you know what I mean, that being a thing. You know, there's so many people work on it. And, you know, so they haven't taken other gigs. And then you pull that film for no real reason. Meaning that, you know, people be like, yo, what have you been doing for the last? Oh, uh, I mean, I was, oh, God, I can't talk about it. You know what I mean? It's, so it's tough, right? You put those people in a tough Now, they can't talk about a project. They've got no proof of a project. So it, it makes it difficult to get a next one. And I'm talking about not the A-lists, you know, the emerging talent. It's a problem, man. It's a fucking problem, you know what I mean? All right, so um, Masters of the Universe, right? That film was sitting at Netflix, right? Because they've got the TV series rights and all of that. But they scrapped the film earlier on in the year because of budgetary concerns. So now it seems that Amazon are considering picking up the film. Right, so Netflix thought it was, you know, their projections were that it was going to cost over 200 mil, right? Now, Amazon, I think they think 170, right? But you have a feeling, you have a strong feeling that like 170, that's a lot of money, right? And what are the chances it goes over that? I feel there's a huge chance it would go over 170. So it's whether Amazon want in that business. You know, I mean, they picked up a whole heap of tentpole stuff, right? Stuff, you know, brands that, you know, they feel that their base will know and love. So I wouldn't be surprised if they grabbed it. But boy. Is it going to be a costly grab? Because the money they spent on Wheel of Time, Lord of the Rings, you know what I mean? Dark Tower and all the other stuff. It's a lot. It's a lot. So, uh, yeah, we will see. Now, I really enjoyed Fear Street, right? 
the um, R.L. Stein uh, inspired um, horror films that Netflix dropped last last year. Hmm. Maybe it was earlier on, right? Was it? No, I, it might have been 2021. But they, yeah, they dropped. They did a trilogy, and the crazy thing was they dropped them. I feel it was in the space of 10 days which I thought was a great move. I thought it was a great move, you know? So there was always this talk, right? The original director of those films, you know, she was like very keen on doing more, you know? Um, but we just didn't know in, in what way these may come. So the word is they're gonna do a standalone, right? A Fear Street 4. Now, supposedly, there are a load of books in the uh, Fear Street um, franchise, 50 books. So, you know, there's a lot. But I think there is one that is a standalone, right? So, um, yeah, Netflix, uh, I think it's... Um, God, I forget the homie's name. Something stubborn. Scott Stubber. That's it. He had this to say. Obviously, there's a lot of books. There's one standalone that we're working on right now that we're once again trying to get the script right. But I like it very much. And so does the team. So I feel like if we can get that script right, there would be a great kind of extension of that franchise. Hmm, so yeah, Fear Street 4 could be coming. Now this, people, this one, very excited about and pleased about as well, because I think we might be getting a Cleopatra film, but not that terrible thing with uh gail godot which you know just like yo what are we doing what are we fucking doing with that one you know what I mean? but uh yeah it's um yeah this new one from uh david scrapper supposedly has written um uh the script based on cleopatra life a book by Stacy Skiff, right? Um, and I think Dennis Villeneuve is going to be directing it, which, whoo, interesting. Right now, Xander, yeah, is, is uh, looking to be playing Cleopatra. Timothy Chalamet is gonna be playing Octavius with Daniel Cray as Julius Caesar. I ain't mad at those castings. I ain't mad at all at those castings, people. You know what I mean? So, boy, I'm looking forward to that. That feels better to me than the uh, Carrie Scogland, Gail Gadot one. So uh, we will see. We will see what happens now. The other week we um talked we talked about this because um Netflix confirmed that they were looking to get um Greta Gerwig's 
uh, Chronicles of Narnia films up and running next year, right? But it was what? How are they going to be doing this? You know what I mean? What 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 are we going to do? Because you know we had a a few films that well we had two films, right? The the Silver Chair and the Magician's Nephew that have never been adapted. So would they do those, or are they just going to reboot the whole thing? So this is uh, and and Scott Stubber again, right? This is what he said. Obviously, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is kind of the preeminent one, but there's such an interesting narrative form uh, to the Narnia series if you read all of them, and so that's what. Greta is working on with Amy Pascal and trying to figure out how they can break the whole arc of it. So what they are looking to do is connect all the books, right? So they're going to do all the books, but in a way that they all perfectly fit together, which would mean some new material will be written to bridge because there's a few that don't necessarily follow directly, you know? So we're going to, it's like what happened with the Hobbit that you've got a lot of bridge material done. So that's what they're going to do, which I'm intrigued about. I'm intrigued to see how they do this. You know, I'm the, I, I do like the books. So, yeah, we will see. We will see what happens. So, um, yeah. Now, a couple of things before we go, right? So, obviously, with all the, the, the strikes and everything, it's delayed so much. So, the, the schedule is being moving, right? We've seen in weeks with people pushing shit back. And, yeah it continues right so um at present because this could still move deadpool 3 has moved from the 3rd of may to the 26th of july 2024 all right we've also got captain america brave new world um, has been pushed back to the 14th of February, 2025, uh, which, you know, makes sense. Uh, Blade, right, that's been pushed from 2025, February, to the 7th of November, 2025, right? So that makes a lot of sense. Thunderbolts, right? That's been pushed from December the 20th, 2024 to the 25th of July, 2025. So, yeah, those, those things make sense, man. You know? Um, Musafa, the Lion King, right? That has been moved to the 20th of December. 2024, which I feel that's a good date, right? Is it's probably going to be a family Christmas film, so it kind of you know 20th of December. That's a good date for that, I think. You know what I mean? So uh, yeah, we will we will see what happens. I imagine more things 
will be flipping around. But let's end on this because this, people, I am very excited about this, right? So, you know, we got a new Cleopatra film coming. We've also got a, uh, a Hannibal film, right? Which uh, is ne- a Netflix joint, right? Didn't know they had one planned, but it's going to be directed by Anton Farouk. Um, written by John Logan and Denzel Washington is going to be playing our Carthaginian legend. Yes, that is correct. Hannibal Barker will be played by Washington. And boy, that's exciting. That's friggin' exciting, people. I am very much looking forward to this. So there's no, um, yeah, there, there, there's no, you know, release date, start date, or anything like that. But yeah, it's coming. And um, Farouk Washington will produce alongside Eric Olson and Adam Goldworm. So yeah, I'm jazzed. I'm jazzed, people. But As I said, this is the end of part one, which just means there is a part two. So, people, go head over there and uh, enjoy what we have cooking, right? We're looking at the documentary Tish, Trish, even, and speaking to its director, Paul Singh. And it was a great conversation. It's a great documentary. So, yeah, we'll see you over on part two. Peace.